Well, good morning. Oh, it's so good to see you, North Campus. We love being with you. Our online family, we have people all over the region, all over the United States, literally all over the world who are joining in today as we together give honor to our God. We gather corporately to encourage something. We gather in our groups to encourage something. And it's simple. We gather to encourage each other in taking our next life-giving steps with Jesus. But can we be honest enough this morning can we go deep enough to say that sometimes the realities of life conflict seemingly with our faith and it makes it difficult for us to take those next steps? You know, there are things that come up with life in life that create questions. They are hard questions that it seems that we have tended to tell each other what we need to do is put on a mask of some sort, pretend they don't exist and just move on through life, which isn't what the scripture encourages us to do. The scripture encourages us us to go deep into these hard questions, to look at the realities of life. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Life is hard. I mean, all of us at some point in our journey will have in our own lives, if not in the lives of those that we love, situations that not only don't work out the way we wanted them to, sometimes seem to be the exact opposite of what we want. Like, you planned on the marriage, but you didn't plan on the divorce. I've done hundreds of wedding ceremonies, and no one has ever stood up and said, yes, we are going to get married in probably about seven years. We're really going to grow to dislike each other and have a really nasty uh, custody battle. No one ever planned it, but it actually happens. You guys know that. Even if you work with all your diligence to keep it from happening, sometimes it still does. For some, you planned on children, but you didn't plan on the miscarriage. You never planned on being laid off and not being able to find this job as quickly as you thought. You never planned on attending your own kid's funeral. And on and on, the scenarios of life come at us. And if we're honest, in those moments, we find ourselves asking a question. A question that's repeated often in the scripture that, again, we tend to ignore. We, we just go, why? Why, God? I mean, I, I know I'm not perfect and I know the people in my life that are being affected aren't perfect, but it doesn't seem like we deserve this. Why? By the way, it's an incredible question. And if someone's ever told you you are sinning by asking the question, or if you lack faith because you ask the question, let me say nicely that they're an idiot. At least on this subject. Because Jesus was on a cross. And about the ninth hour, he cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated from the 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why? Somebody say, why? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus asked why, just like we do. I ask the question a lot. I know the tension of life. Early last year, one of my grandsons was in a terrible automobile accident, and we are confident that God, by his mercy, worked a miracle and not only saved his life, but saved him from any lasting effect of that whatsoever. We saw the hand of God, but over the past few years, I have done some of the hardest funerals I have ever done. Not because the people I was doing the funerals for were not ready to die. In fact, they were some of the people that I personally knew that were most ready to die. I just have to say that by my account, they were way too young. And there was a lot of life left for them to be lived. A lot of things left on earth for them to do. And I asked God, the same God I asked for the miracle for my grandson, I asked for the lives of my friends. 
And you know the struggle because God said yes to that miracle here. And he said no to that miracle. And you may say, no, no, they went to heaven. That's a miracle. Absolutely. But that wasn't the miracle I was asking for. I was asking for cancer to be healed here. I was asking for COVID to be healed here. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You find yourself asking God, why a miracle here and not a miracle in this situation? All of us find ourselves in scenarios like this. And we find, our ask, ask, find ourselves asking the question, if God is good, why do people suffer? If God is so good, why? And fill in the blank. It is likely the most common reason people give that they say, I'm going to abandon my faith. I'm going to do what is in modern vernacular, deconstruct my faith. Now, I will challenge that abandoning faith will not help you. It won't help you deal with pain. It won't help you deal with reality. In fact, I'm going to challenge that it makes it harder. I mean, think about it. The reason people would say that they are abandoning their faith because of suffering is because they would say that things aren't supposed to be this way. But if you abandon the idea of God in the face of pain and suffering, then how in the world can you say that things shouldn't be this way? I mean, if we abandon the idea of God, then we have to go to humanistic thought. Humanistic thought lives on the idea of survival of the fittest. If you have survival of the fittest, that means those that aren't fit aren't going to survive. The weak are going to suffer. The weak are going to be put to death by those that who are stronger. It's just the way it is. But when we complain about violence and suffering, pain and destruction in life, when we say things should be a different way, then what we're admitting is there's a greater design to the universe. There's a greater design to the way things have to be. And someone had to create that design. You get what I'm saying? When we say something is wrong or unjust, then there has to be a standard of right and just. And the only one who gives a standard of right and just is God. Guys, hear me. I understand the question of why. I would challenge there's no one in this room, nowhere around who has asked the question more often than I. But I am going to tell you that abandoning the reality of God and acting as if there's no God who gives overarching meaning to life doesn't make the problem better but make it worse. And I will challenge there is a greater reason we abandon in the face of suffering. And that's what we want to get to. See, the scripture is actually very honest about this. The scripture dives headlong into this reality. It goes back to the beginning. When in the Garden of Eden, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Now believe it or not, I believe this verse right here, the 17th verse of the second chapter of Genesis, represents one of the greatest acts of love ever given. This is where God showed how much he loves you and I. And they tell us the foundational reason that life is hard. Life is hard because God loves you and I. And I know you think, dude, dude you just misspoke. The pressure of what's going on in our society must be given to, getting to. You must have COVID fog or something because this feels the exact opposite of what we tend to think. Because we tend to think if God really loved us, suffering, pain, death, things like that would not exist. But before we assume that is true, You've got to think about the word love. And I'm going to challenge that for love to exist, there has to be a thing called choice. The reality of choice 
And inherent to that idea is the risk of rejection. The risk of something being said no to. A few times over the years, I've used the picture I wrote to explain this to you. Just go with me for a second. Let's say for a moment, it hasn't happened, but let's say artificial intelligence was created in such a way that you could have a robot who becomes your spouse. Can you fathom the advertising that's going to go with that? There's going to be advertising towards women. There's going to be advertising towards men. I can just hear the infomercial directed towards men. Men, are you tired of long conversations about the same thing over and over again after a long day at work? Are you fed up with going to your phone app, checking your bank account, finding all the money being spent on pedicures, manicures, and massages? Are you tired of the expectation of coming home and helping with the kids, the dishes, the yard, and the house, all after bringing home the bacon in this dog-eat-dog business world? If this is you, then we have the answer for you, the perfect wife. Never again will anyone ask you not only what did you do today, but how did you feel about it? Never again will you be asked to go to a movie that something isn't blown up at least five times. Once you go through the simple two-hour setup process, then you will have the perfect wife who will respond exactly as you want to your every desire and will meet your every need. This is the wife you have longed for that was unavailable to you until the invention of the K2000 chip. Let technology give to you what humanity never could, the perfect wife. Would you want it? Men, I'd be really still right now if I were you. <laughs> Here's the bigger question. Would it be love? Now, I relish the fact that my wife chose me. She didn't have to. God knows I gave her every reason not to. She chooses me every day. That is the foundation of the joy I have in our relationship. I have some close friendships. They choose me. They don't have to. I do stupid things at times. I know that shocks you. They forgive me and they still choose me. That's what brings me joy. I gave God every reason to reject me. He chose me. I said, I will go to this length for you. Now you have to choose. I give that to you. You see, God loved us so much from the very beginning that he gave us the greatest power given to any facet of his created. He gave us the power to say no to him. We can say no to his love. See, love is why there was a tree in the garden called Eden. And one day in that garden, but it's not just in the garden, it's one day in our own lives, we chose to mistrust the heart of God. We chose to say no to God, reject his leadership. We sinned. And of all the things I think we do in the church, I think we minimize the importance of this word sin. Sin has messed things up. I mean, far more than I think we can imagine, far more than we know, sin has messed up the world. The scripture teaches us that sin has marred creation. That creation right now grows to be what it was originally be. See, the same nature that can be so inspiring, oh, we can go to the mountains and get close to God. We can go to the ocean and get close. We can see our sunsets in West Texas so close to God. But that same nature brings things like tornadoes, tsunamis, 
and hurricanes. Freeze weeks. Anybody remember that? Anybody get a little nervous every time it looks like a cold front's coming through Abilene after last year, right? You know what I'm talking about? That is all because of sin. Because of sin, physical decay and death came into the world. Now, if you are under 40, you don't understand physical decay in the body. Everybody over 40, we know about decay in the body, right? People ask me why I'm so stoved up and stuff, and I tell them this, God reminded me I ain't supposed to live here forever. There's physical decay, but there's death, physical and spiritual death. Because of sin, there's relational strife. Adam, Eve sinned. First thing they do, put on clothing. Not just hide their nakedness, they started hiding from each other. It was a barrier between each other and a barrier between them and God. Guys, we live in a fallen world. Hear me, wherever you're listening, however you live, we live in a fallen world. Don't, um, don't miss the significance of that say, statement. You see, the reality of the world right now is it gives us a taste of both heaven and hell for eternity. Because there are some wonderful facets of our world right now. The wonders of planet Earth, the goodness that we see in humanity is a taste of things the way they are meant to be. It's why we long for that, and heaven's going to be infinitely greater than that. And the evil we see, the pain and the suffering, the death and the destruction are a taste of what happens when we abandon God and life without God. It is just a glimpse of the pains of hell. Now, I need to make sure you don't mishear me because some of you are thinking, so you're saying that my sin brought on all the difficulties of my life. I didn't say that. Are there times that we do stupid? And because of our stupid, consequences come on us. Yeah. But isn't it amazing how often we do stupid and consequences don't come? See, that's, that's the grace of God. We just don't tend to see that. Most of the time when difficulty and suffering comes upon someone, it's not because of something they directly did but because of the reality that we live in this fallen reality. See, we live in a world that is schizophrenic. One minute it gives us a taste of heaven, and the next minute it gives us a taste of hell. I'm telling you, the Bible is immensely honest about this. See, it deals with what is real, and it says to you and I, the world is not the way it was designed to be. The world is not where it should be in life. And despite what well-meaning Christians mean when they say this, some Christians will tell you, hey, if you become a Christian, then your life is going to be great and grand, and you're not going to have any struggles whatsoever. And the rest of us laugh, because we know it's not true. It was Jesus who said to the apostles, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you're going to have difficulty and struggling in life. But Jesus didn't just speak of the reality of a fallen world. He spoke of a greater reality that came because of him. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Somebody say peace. In this world, you will have trouble. So peace in the midst of trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. How can there be peace in the midst of a troubled world? A greater reality. God's love is greater than this fallen world. God is not callous to the pain of humanity. He came and put himself right in the middle of it. That's the message of the cross. And we know that in all things, say all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to purpose. Now don't misread this. This scripture is not saying that God makes bad things good. He doesn't make evil things good. 
It's just saying, in the midst of a world that has fallen, God doesn't abandon us on our own. God, in his love, doesn't leave us to ourselves to deal with this fallen world. He is at work in the midst of the difficulty for our good. And you might be in the midst of that difficulty right now, and you're saying, David, I can't see how God could be at work. I can't see any way that he would be doing anything of any good in this circumstance whatsoever. I love the words of Tim Keller who says, if you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you have at the same moment a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons for allowing it to continue that you cannot know. Indeed, you can't have it both ways. God is at work in the midst of the struggles of life for the good of his children. And you would say, David, how in the world can we know that? Hear me. We can know it because of one thing. Jesus. Jesus is where we see most clearly the goodness of God. It's where we see most clearly the heart of our Heavenly Father. It is Jesus that is the reason that Paul kind of sarcastically asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I know you're saying, well, how do I know God is for us? He who did not spare his own son gave him for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Come on, if God loved us so much to become one of us, to not only take our sin upon himself, not only take the punishment of sin upon himself, can we not trust the rest, him with the rest of our life, even during the anger of difficult moments? I mean, people say, what do I do in the midst of the struggles? You look at the cross, and you say, if that is true, now you may reject the cross, and you may reject the resurrection, but if that is true, that is enough for me to trust him when I don't know what he's up to. And I don't know why he said no to this and why he said yes to this and why he is doing these things in a certain way. The cross says the heart of God is good. We can trust what Jesus did is for our good. We can trust the heart of God seeing the cross, but not only that, we can trust this. He's going to return one day to finish. The desires we have in us are not false desires. They indicate that we were made for something else. And the scripture says that one day, and I'm torn because I love to pray that Jesus would come back like right now. You know, everything within me would like to see him, but I also know there's people that don't know him. And if he came back right now, they, they, they who might have a chance to know him don't have a chance to know him yet, and I want them to know him. You feel the tension? That's why the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I feel that tension. I want him to return because when he returns, when he cuts the sky in two and returns, he is going to bring with him justice, and he's going to bring with him righteousness. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more pain. No, never again will I be doing a funeral. I long for that moment. I long for that day. Listen to me. The answer of scripture to a struggling world, I know this sounds trite to some, is God. God's answer to the struggles and difficulties of this fallen world is himself. He came, listen to me, and he is coming again. But please hear me, that is only part of his answer for the issues on planet earth. There's another part. One of the most known verses in all the Bible. I'm telling you, it is a coffee cup verse. It makes the memes, it makes the wall hangings, t-shirts, all that kind of stuff. 
Paul's declaration. It's really his prayer in form of a declaration. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, if I ask you right now, do you want this to be true of your life? People would be raising their hand right now. You'd be at South Campus, North Campus, online people. We'd have people driving, throwing their hands up right now. I mean, we all at some level want this to be true of our lives. It's part of the reason we are here. However, it's not the totality of Paul's declaration and prayer. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his. And we don't even want to say it, do we? Because it's through that we become like him in what he did. Isn't it amazing that the second part of the prayer never makes your coffee cup? Nobody wants to wake up to that word every morning, right? We don't put it on the backdrop of our computer or phone. And I would challenge we rarely pray it. Here's the problem. You can't know Christ and the power of the resurrection without sharing in the sufferings. Because that's who he is. Many of us long to know the power of Jesus Christ that we read about in the New Testament. And all the power demonstrated in the New Testament was because the people following him were joining in with the sufferings. Now, don't mishear that. There, there's, this, there's this idea that's been out since the Middle Ages. There's still small groups that do it. It's called self-flagellation, where you take whips and you actually beat yourself and place upon yourself stripes like Jesus had. You don't have to do that to share in the suffering of Christ. What do you do? You follow him. We want to become like him. God gave us a choice. We chose to not trust him. We sinned. Sin brought all this garbage into the world. And God looked at the garbage of the world, the suffering and stuff, and what did he do? He threw himself right in the middle of it. And he began doing a work. So Jesus came. Right in the middle of our mess, seeking to rescue the lost, seeking to bring justice and hope to those who need it, seeking to bring freedom to the oppressed, seeking to heal the sick, seeking to love the widows and the orphans. You know what he wants you and I to do? After his resurrection, Jesus looked at the disciples and said, peace, somebody say peace. Peace be with you. Great Jewish greeting, shalom alechem. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He gives us peace that we can carry that peace into the world. Hear me. Jesus coming for us is only part one of God's answers to a fallen, suffering world. Part two of God's answer is Jesus in us. And I would challenge you. This is why most people use this question to abandon faith and deconstruct their faith. Because if you follow Jesus... He is going to want you to join him in dealing with the sufferings of the world. Because part of God's answer to the suffering of the world is us. It's the two billion people who claim to be his followers in life. You see, if we say yes to him, if we say yes to receiving his peace and being sent into the world to love our neighbor as ourselves, then we're going to find ourselves right in the midst of people's hurts, right in the middle of their difficulties, right in the midst of their sufferings. We will mourn with those who mourn. 
Because when somebody experiences a grievous situation, we run into it with them. And we hurt as they hurt. When we dive into somebody's issues in life and they reject the wisdom of God and the ways of God, our heart is going to ache over that because we're going to long for them to have the freedom that they can only have in Christ Jesus. We're going to struggle at times when God works a miracle here, but he doesn't work a miracle in all the ways we want. And you say, David, if I'm going to enter into the sufferings of Jesus and it's going to cause pain in my life, why in the world would I want to do it? Because I get to know him. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to see his work in life. And to do that, I've got to join him in what he is doing. Hear me, this is what compels so much of what we do here at Beltway Park. We want to see Jesus do his work in the lives of people. We want to be part of it with him. We have a ministry we call our freedom ministry, and it's dealing with generational curses and things in people's past and all that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you, you start getting involved in those things with people's lives, and people have to reject the ways of the past and say yes to the things of God. It's not easy. We want to get right in the middle of marriages because marriage is a foundation of what God wants to do in society through the family. And we have our re-engaged ministry. And when we have um, couples who are willing to invest themselves as mentor in our re-engaged ministry, you know what they find themselves in? They find themselves in the midst of a lot of people's crap. A lot of the mess of life and the struggles of life. If you want to love teenagers, I'm just going to tell you, some of our teenagers come from some hellish homes. And I'm not saying that lightly. And they can be really frustrated, bring real difficulty, but we do it. Because Christ's love compels us. This is why for over a quarter of a century we've been standing for the rights of the unborn and the lives of men and women whose lives have been affected by the lie of abortion. And it's going to be easy for you to say right now this is a political thing. It's it's not. We just stand for those who can't speak for themselves. We want to see righteous and godly laws passed to protect those who can't protect themselves. But we, at the same time, are going to stand by men and women who've been deceived by this lie. Because if statistics are right, there are hundreds in our rooms right now. Hundreds who are listening who've been affected by this lie. Every time I say this, I have somebody who comes to me and they tell me something happened in their life They had an abortion, and they've kept it hidden for 40, 50, 60 years. And it has kept them down from what the Lord has. I proclaim to you, if that is you, there is freedom, there is redemption, there is wholeness in Jesus Christ. We stand with the lives of men and women who are caught in situations and maybe have been deceived by a lie. And we will contend for the fullness of what God has for your life. Your destiny in the future is not determined by what you did in the past. Your destiny is determined by what Jesus did for your life. And we are going to stand with you and contend. While at the same time, we are going to contend wholeheartedly for the life of the unborn. That's why we're so partnered up with Pregnancy Resources of Abilene. And it may be that part of your call in life to share in the sufferings of Christ is to join in right there. To be part of that. You say, David, they have plenty of people. I'm just telling you, COVID has ravaged the volunteer base of Pregnancy Resources. We need laborers who will contend with men and women in these unexpected, unplanned pregnancies and the decisions that they have to make. If that is you, if that's how you're supposed to share in the suffering of Christ, then I implore you, get in touch with PRA as soon as you can. But at the same time, we are confident, I'm so confident of this, 
that God is calling his church to take another step when it comes to the issue of life. We have a dream. We want to resolve the foster family crisis in the big country. There are children whose lives, and again, I'm going to say a cuss word, but I don't use it lightly. Their lives have been so affected by hell in their house. That's the only way I know how to describe it. If you knew some of their stories, it can only be hell. And they have to be removed for their season and put place somewhere. And we have a dream that God is going to raise up men and women of faith, men and women empowered by his spirit to take care of every one of our kids. And we are summarizing that dream in one phrase. I want you to get inside of you. I want you to pray it in and pray for the Lord to do this miraculous thing. It's a dream we call Foster 325. Meet Abby. Abby is a child in foster care. And like 400,000 other children in the United States just like her, she stands in line for a foster care system that struggles mightily to provide children with loving homes. The cost of that struggle is staggering. Did you know that over 60% of American children caught up in sex trafficking come out of foster care? Or that there are several states where over half the prison inmates come from the foster system? Or that the majority of girls who age out of foster care become pregnant within two years, perpetuating the cycle of generational poverty? Abby needs more than a roof over her head. She needs a home. She needs more than a state. She needs a father and a mother. She needs consistent and sincere love, nurturing, accountability, and hope. Foster 325 is a collaboration of churches committed to ensuring loving, stable homes for every foster child in the 325 area code. Our vision is to see the community work together to help vulnerable children in our cities. When we compare the number of kids in need of homes with the number of churches in America, a simple arithmetic becomes clear. If each church could raise up one foster family, we would be able to take all children in the foster system and place them in the care of a loving home. Foster 325 exists to gather and equip local churches to raise up and support foster families to ensure that the big country has more than enough foster families. We will achieve this in two ways. First, we use church awareness campaigns to inspire new families to express God's love by giving homes to children in need. Second, we help churches build wraparound teams to surround foster families with love and support, which keeps approved families fostering longer. Abby needs help. Churches want to help. Foster 325 helps churches by giving them clear direction and concrete actions to take. Foster 325 helps Abby and many more like her by raising up families who are on mission to see the lonely set in families. The need is great. The time is now. Let us Foster 325 together. I want you to think about that for a second. Just think for a moment what it would be like if every child who's experienced the trauma that means they have to be removed from their house doesn't have to leave everything else they know. They can stay in their community. They can stay in their school. They can stay on their little league team. They can stay with aunts and uncles that might be strong. But they need to be removed because they're in hell. Don't think that the enemy cares at all how old somebody is before he'll start seeking to destroy them. 
They are living in something that is causing great trauma to their life. And we pray for a season and only a season. They can be removed and that removal will cause their parents to want to be motivated to bring about some changes in their life that will enable them to be able to parent those kids. Until then, they need some place to go. What would it be like if there were spirit-filled, spirit-empowered homes all over the big country? Hundreds of them. People who are trusting that they share in the sufferings of Jesus and the lives of these kids, that they're going to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the power of the resurrection is going to show itself in them on behalf of those kids. And I know you're going to ask, David, is it easy? No. If you've lived through hell, you bring hell with you. I'm just confident the one in me is greater than the forces of hell. The one in me is greater than the one in the world. And we need people who will step. And I'm asking you to pray into this dream. See, I know reality. Reality is we're not all called to do the same thing. So I am not trying to call all of us to be a foster family. Please don't hear this. What I do know is we are all called to strive to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the way that happens is we got to say yes to wherever he calls us to, to share in the sufferings that are going on because of sin in the world and be like him in his death, enjoining the restoration that he is doing in the world. I don't know that where that is for you, but I implore you to find that spot and step into it, for you will not find the joy in your faith, the joy of knowing Jesus until you do it. But I am confident God has shown me this. There are 750 families called to be foster families in the big country. All over the place. There are 750 of them. And there's another 2,250 who are called to wrap around those 750, making 3,000 families in the big country who will step in by the power of Jesus and seek to resolve this issue that is a crisis stage in our culture. And it may be that God is stirring you to be one of the 3,000 families in some way or another. If he's stirring you, all you got to do is take a step to explore and pray. I promise you, no one's going to coerce you into doing this. you got to know. But if it's you, there's information in your park news. If you're in part of our online campus, maybe you're a part of another city or something, we don't care. We will help you right where you are if you're stirred to this. You can go to our new website for this, foster325.org. It is real simple. In the foyers of both our physical campuses, there are going to be some of our foster families you can talk to about it. You can get one of these lovely T-shirts, and you can wear it around if you desire. But I am telling you, God is going to do a work among us. There's going to be a dream that he is going to fulfill. If you think you're one of those families, I encourage you to take a step. Take a step to be a wraparound. Take a step to be a foster family. And you're going to see the power of Jesus in your life. And all of us, <clears throat> let us pray. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. To share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. Come on, let's take a moment. Let's ask the Lord right now. Let's just, let's just talk to him. Maybe you're one of those families right now and you're struggling with the why and the why nots. I, I hear you. My soul aches for the rightness of heaven. I will, I'll be so bold to say most of the pain in my life has been running into situations with people. 
Most of the suffering I've been a part of has been in the lives of other people. And most of the things God has done in my life has been because I joined him in those places. It's a tension that I can't get rid of. But if you're one of those people asking why or why not, I just bless you right now. I bless you with the ability to see the cross. I bless you with the ability to hear. If God be for us, what does it matter what comes against us? He did not spare his own son. So many times I have cried in intercession for the losses that have happened over the past two years. And at the same time, <coughs> I know the joys that the people that we've done their funeral services are experiencing right now. I've seen God change the destiny of people's lives because of difficulty. I've seen so many good things that he has done. I know it. I just pray that we have grace. I bless you that we have grace to see the cross and to see his goodness right now. to not give up, to not abandon. There's more God has for your life. May the Lord bless you in that. If you are a foster family, I just feel specifically called today to bless you. If you're a wraparound family, a foster family, a babysitter, or maybe you feel called to it. Maybe Not called, it's maybe the wrong word. You're feeling stirred. And you, you don't know because it's a big it's a big step. I get it. I'm going to play the God confirms it. But if the Lord's stirring you, but if you're one of our current families that are serving in this area, where you're just feeling a little bit of stirring, just throw your hand up right now for a second. And I just bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you with a new grace. I bless you with a new anointing. I bless you with a fresh grace from heaven to do what you've accomplished. I believe that the power of the resurrection is going to show itself through you in the lives of young men and young women. And I bless those who are being stirred here. I know it's not all of us. That we would have courage to trust that you're going to work powerfully in us, oh God. And I pray for all of us that we would have the grace to join you. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do to end. Everyone, all, both campuses, physically, online campus. I want you to say after me the words of Philippians 3.10. I'm going to say them, then I want you to say them out loud. You don't have to shout it. But I want you to say it, and I challenge you this week to pray it every day. And it's going to challenge you to the core of your being. And I believe if we step into it, it's going to lead to a good that we cannot even begin to fathom. So say this after me. Say, I want to know Christ. Let's do it again. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So Jesus, we commit ourselves as much as we know how. Jesus, help us. Help trust that you're gonna do a great work in us and through us. We wanna join what you're doing to resolve, to resolve the suffering in our world. We pray together, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we ask together in Jesus' name, amen.